Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the cult on the digital airwaves. The Emerald Tablet is one of the most influential and mysterious texts in the alchemical library. Its year and country of origin are lost within the fog of history, winding through Renaissance, Germany, medieval Arabia, and back to ancient Greece, and possibly even China. Running between 10 and 14 lines, depending on the translator, the text itself is short enough to wear on a t-shirt or carry on an index card. Within those 14 lines are the secrets of the philosopher's stone, the main ingredient used in the transmutation of substances, most profitably base metals, into gold. And the exact same lines can be used to understand the transmutation of the spirit onto the earth and then back into the heavens. The journey of all matter, in fact, is the same as the journey of the human soul. The Emerald Tablet, or Tabula Smaragdina, is part of a collection of texts probably composed in late antiquity, translated into Arabic, and then picked up by the Europeans and translated into Latin, culminating with their arrival in the German Renaissance occult scene. Followers believed the tradition dates to ancient Egypt, often incorporating hermetic thought into an interpretation of the Egyptian mysteries reflected in untranslated hieroglyphics. And they sought to recover and preserve the tradition established by the ancient Hermes Trismegistus, rather than innovate on it. Although not all translations credit the legendary Hermes with the text's composition, tradition holds that this ancient sage is responsible for coding the secrets of alchemy, spiritual and physical, into these lines. Whether there ever was such a person as Hermes Trismegistus is a subject open to some doubt, and the subject for another episode, in fact. For our purposes today, we should know that the name Trismegistus means thrice great. Some have interpreted this to mean that Hermes Trismegistus is the third great Hermes. According to this legend, there were three great sages named Hermes. The first lived before the biblical flood and invented astrology and medicine. The second lived after the flood and was the teacher of Pythagoras. The third was the inventor of alchemy, who wrote the Emerald Tablet. The school of occultism that grew out of the texts attributed to Hermes branches in two directions. The more philosophical tradition based on Hermes' Corpus Hermeticum, a collection of short works believed to have been written by him, and the more technical alchemical texts inspired by the Emerald Tablet. Although these areas have a separate trajectory, we can regard them as part of the same curriculum. One is about the theory behind the practice, and the other is the practical application of the theory. Think of them like an alchemical acting 101, Introduction to Occult Acting, and Alchemical Acting 201, The History of Western Occultism. These are separate courses my alchemical actors have to take, but within the same major, and that major is Things Occult. My name is Rob C. Thompson. I am the Supreme Hierophant of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors with my PhD in Things Occult, which is why I can offer courses in occult things. I'm joined by Olivia Literal, our grand... Grandest of masters. Did you forget? I didn't. I wanted to make it bigger, so I just oh. went with grandest. Grandest yeah, of grandmasters. a little bit. I liked it. I wish grandest. we could have an occult major. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the truth about that is, Olivia, now that you bring that up, we, our listeners have to be very careful because there are a lot of sort of like correspondence colleges, which, you know, are like online schools now who offer bogus 
online occult degrees. So if it sounds too good to be true, it might be. Most of us have our degree. I'm a performance studies scholar. A lot of folks study anthropology, sociology, history, and then they, you know, that's that's their major, or I guess in my case, your, your graduate school program, and then you focus on occult topics within that. Fun facts. Fun, fun facts about academia. <laughs> <laughs> At laugh, there belongs to Shannon Landers, our Instaquisitor, who is back. My goodness, it's been a while. I know. Hello, everyone. I missed you. <laughs> well, you were in uh, uh, an IHOP for a oh, while. Right, yeah. <laughs> what was it? A house of pancakes? It was a Waffle House. A Waffle House, that's right. That's right. You were mm-hmm. tracking down the uh, Illuminati. How'd that work out? Well, she's here now. <laughs> so they didn't get you. House, so <laughs> they got me, but then, then they didn't get me. So because of COVID. Here. Yep. They had to quarantine. Yeah, they had you, and then they were like, "Oh no, we have to quarantine ourselves." And you, you yeah. weren't in the quarantine. They had to kick you right on out. I think, like most of our listeners, I try to forget my time at Waffle House. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. a dark time for me. I don't like going back there. Ouch! Ouch! Well, uh, what else have you been doing? How's life? They're going. <laughs> She says as she laughs into the abyss. Like a single tear runs down yeah. my face. <laughs> All right, let's go for this pledge, shall we, ladies? We, the members, members of, the of the secret, secret order, order of, of alchemical, alchemical actors, actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a, to a full and honest telling of the history, history of the occult as far as, far as, as we, we know, it. know it. All right, Olivia, open up those plugs. Plug, plug, plug. Beautiful. Right. Thank you. <laughs> I missed it. I love having someone here, like right here with yeah, me to so, clap. Fun yeah. Fa- yeah, we frequently make reference to what our actual recording situation looks like. So I continue to be uh, holed off in a closet in, in Annapolis. Yes. But <laughs> Olivia actually has had Shannon over. They are co-quarantining at this point. Yeah, yeah Sharing surrounded. microbiome. Yeah, surrounded by three dogs, and they're really cute. We really are. They're, mm-hmm. they're like on all sides. I think we're having a moment, at least in Maryland, where things are reasonably safe. Still not totally safe, but you know, Florida well, and Texas are falling apart. So our love had... to all of our listeners out in in those states, Alabama, the Midwest. Yeah, California. The Fourth of July didn't help. Yeah. So our our folks on the West Coast, folks in the South, we we love you and and are thinking about you. Uh, and are still quarantining to some extent on, on f- because of you. I, we love you. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, did you open those plugs? I did. Cool. So uh, y- you're going to love this. We have such a, a colorful and uh, exciting crew of people who have joined us on Patreon. We are getting closer Ooh. and closer to our goal. Um, so it, just a fun fact, I, I feel like I've been teasing folks before I get into, it, get into the names that we're getting you know, closer to being fully funded and we're, ne- we're still never there. We were getting super close, but you know, unfortunately with COVID, we've lost some folks. Yeah. Um, 
so there's been a lot of uh, turnover back and forth. And also the, the states have chosen this time, state governments, to implement a sales tax on our Patreon donations, which has, again, moved us further away okay. from our goal. So I wasn't lying. We were getting very close, but uh, now we've been pushed back a bit. However, these folks have allowed us to cover all that missing ground, uh, and I want to give them some love. I'm going to start with Timothy Gray, who actually joined us what? in the top tier. So Timothy is one of the oh. folks giving the highest uh, dollar amount. So we have a, a small Damn, collection of folks. Timothy. Yeah, who are tied for highest monthly dollar amount. And uh, we're very grateful for Timothy's contribution. Timothy Whoa. said he was enjoying and he felt like he should uh, put up a few bucks. And, and uh, we Aww. appreciate that thought. Clifford A. Uh, is, is also joining us uh, very near the top tier. And we are very grateful for that. Clifford, uh, like the big red dog? Yes, Clifford, the... Uh, I'm a big the, fan, uh, big fan. <laughs> big fan of your work. Yeah, really am. He, he is the uh, wonderful patron of what size I don't know, uh, but mm. anyway. Crew 4 oh. Alpha 2. Wait, what was it? Crew 4 Alpha 2. Oh, Also 93 Mage, so we have a few numbers in the mix. Oh. David H. Myla. Uh, our friend Emily R., who uh, is a contributor over on our Facebook group quite a bit. You guys know Emily, right? Yeah. Uh, a, a woman of many memes. Tim M. Uh, and then we had a couple of folks. We had Ayla S. give us a bump, so she gave us a little pledge bump. And uh, Corin M. has uh, joined us back on the Patreon. So some folks have, are, back. I think, getting over some of the stress of, of COVID and uh, getting back yeah. to work and are able to join us again. And we are very grateful, Corin. So thank you Welcome to all those wonderful folks. Yeah, yeah, my goodness. Isn't that wonderful? Ooh. So grateful to have, have all of you. Uh, so, Olivia, you're going to do that Elizabeth Bathory thing pretty quick because these people are ready, ready and waiting. Yeah, we got uh... Shoot that one out. <laughs> Get it out there. <laughs> I got just one more plug uh, that I want to toss in, and this is for our friend Dan. Uh, Dan, the eye of the archive uh, of the alchemical actors. Now, Dan has been hard at work on our Lady Magic series. So on YouTube, we have been working to get all of our old episodes up and running, but we're not just dropping the audio. Dan is, uh, as well as Savannah Verrett, our sister of the 84th, they are actually creating uh, visuals to go along with the episodes they're not visuals of us or often they're not us but you know they're different <laughs> things that suggest the theme so you can watch along as you listen uh, so if uh, what i want to say is if you're if you're going through the old catalog it would be a great help to us to go over to youtube and, and listen to at least the lady magic series over there um, it, it does contribute to our presence on youtube uh, and if you haven't subscribed to us on youtube please do and uh, then, yeah. then you can be kept up to date on those things eventually we hope to be creating original content on YouTube, uh, but that's something that uh, Olivia and I and Shannon all need to discuss. And today is not that day because we have to talk about the Emerald Tablet. Let's close up those plugs. Plug, plug, plug. <clears throat> all right, here we go. Let's let's head on back into the mists of alchemical time. Golf claps? Yeah, I didn't want to clap too loud in a microphone. So What's I've been a doing golf clap? A golf clap? You take two fingers and you like clap to the center of your palm. <laughs> Okay. So you don't interrupt the golfer while yeah, he is golfing. It's a polite clap. Oh, yes. Or she. Okay. Sorry. Polite claps. Anyway. To, to the tablets, please. All right. To the tablets. <laughs> there are several different tales of the tablets' origins. Perhaps the most romantic of the bunch is the source of the tablets' cryptic name. I say cryptic because the text, as we'll soon find out, has nothing to do with emeralds or the color green at all. 
In this version of events, the words of the tablet were discovered written on a literal emerald slab in Hermes' tomb. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Wait, so it was made out of emerald? Uh, I mean, yeah, in the legend, anyway, of its discovery. Oh, but it, it doesn't say anything about emerald. So, that yeah, that's where the emerald concept comes from. Got it. Another origin story for the emerald tablet, because, again, it's legendary. So it's going to have bunches of origin stories, sort of like... Yeah. I don't know. Who, who, uh, it, it, Excalibur? Name a, oh. Excal- no, I think that only has the one. Shannon, you're yeah, a comic okay, book you're right. nerd. I guess it does just have one. Oh, <laughs> like the Batman something. universe? <laughs> oh, there's like different ways we get to the Joker. Yeah, that's true. There are different Joker yeah. versions, isn't there? Yeah. Sort of like that. Another origin story for the... Uh, so listeners write in with other things that have <laughs> varying origin stories. <laughs> There's a bunch of great examples. We're just like, uh, comic books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what can you do? Uh, another origin story for the Emerald Tablet written in Arabic begins with Belinus. Belinus is, which rhymes with sinus, is, is a guy, is a person. He's a slippery character. Uh, he's about as slippery as Hermes himself is slippery, because again, there's like three different Hermeses out there. He's also known as Pseudo Apollonius of Tyana meaning that he is not Apollonius of Tyana, but his name is falsely attributed to Apollonius of Tyana. Apollonius is someone we've discussed before, specifically in our Jesus episode. He was a philosopher who lived at the same time as Jesus of Nazareth and is often regarded as the pagan Jesus. He butted horns with the Roman emperor, he performed a miraculous escape when he was put on trial for his life, and he performed a number of other miracles that are also ascribed to him. But let's get back to Belinus, who is pseudo-Apollonius, not Apollonius. Belinus, uh, the Arabic legend says, happened upon the tablet after discovering the door of a vault underneath the feet of the statue of Hermes, or rather a statue of Hermes. Sick. Yeah, right? After digging and scheming and puzzling for a long time, Belinus could find no means of entering the vault, and he fell asleep. And while he slept, he dreamt. He just decided, I'm going to take an, I give up, I'll take a nap. Uh, it's actually a good idea. We talked about this on <laughs> like our third series. Oh, floor. God. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah, you're He's right. dropping into the subconscious. It's like when you yeah, shower yeah, and you yeah. come back and you know how you're going to, I don't know, fix the sink or, or something. Or maybe he was just tired. Or maybe you know? he's just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> Wholly unintentional. He deserved uh, uh, a nap. <laughs> he didn't do anything. <laughs> he didn't do it. He he dug and schemed and puzzled. He did all that. Okay. Well, all right. Tiring. Okay. <laughs> Have you done all those at once? It's a lot. Failure is exhausting. Ouch. <laughs> That's a life lesson. <laughs> While he slept, he dreamt. And in his dream, he saw an old man on a golden throne. The man held an emerald tablet called The Representation of Nature. And at his feet was a book called the mystery of creation, the title Belinus would give to his own book, which contained the wisdom of the Emerald Tablet. Damn, he stole that? Yeah, he stole that from the old man on the gold throne. No copyright back then. (laughs) (laughs) No copyright on men you meet in your dreams. Damn. (laughs) That's a shame. (laughs) So the earliest known version of the tablet, like in reality not in dreams, is this Arabic version from Belinus that was translated by Jabir ibn Hayyan in the 8th century. So to make that clear, this guy, Jabir ibn Hayyan, 
he's this is the first time we can see the text of the thing. He just says when he gives us this text, I got this from Bolinus, and the story of Bolinus is this. So we're really getting it all from Jabir. He could have made it all up, we wouldn't know. You got me? Mm-hmm. But he probably didn't because there's other people who are talking about this thing existing, that it's out there in the ether somewhere. This is just the very first time anyone can read the words, and they're written in Arabic. Hayan was the son of a pharmacist, which helps to explain his interest in chemistry and also alchemy. He was an Ishmaeli Shi'i Muslim and supporter of the Abbasid Revolt. I don't need to explain that at all, right? I was literally going to say, what's that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The words Abbasid and Ishmaeli both refer to Hayan's belief about who the proper caliph or leader of the Muslims was. So a lot of these like splinter groups in uh, the history of Islam especially in, in the medieval period, are these uh, all about these arguments about who should be in charge. So the Abbasid dynasty can be traced back to Muhammad's uncle and was opposed by the Umayyads who followed a separate lineage which was founded by the third caliph, meaning the third person to run, you know, the Muslims, to be the head Muslim after Muhammad. Did you teach us this in like one of your classes? I think yeah, I, like, I did an intro to humanities, humanities class. Yeah, yeah okay. Where I, I remember about this, this stuff. like vaguely because I remember you drawing a chart on the board because <laughs> we were all like, "Who are all these people?" <laughs> yeah, I, I, a lot of the divisions within Muslims can can be traced back to these yeah just decisions about who is the legitimate heirs of Muhammad and then who the lineage is. It gets very complicated, so we, we can't get into that today. But that's the basics. Uh, so the Abbasids overthrew the Umayyads around 750, and our alchemical author Hayan was killed while on a mission for the Abbasids to Khorasan. So he's kind of a cool guy. He's doing, you know, spy missions and stuff. Hayan's alchemy included the pursuit of taquin, or the creation of artificial life. He drew on ancient Greek philosophy, also Neoplatonism, as he developed recipes for creating scorpions, snakes, and even homunculi. Why do you want to create the scorpions and the snakes? I get the last one, but... (laughs) (laughs) Everyone wants a homunculus. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's tell the people about the homunculus, and then we'll speculate on why scorpions are snakes. So a homunculus, because some some folks might not know. All all my knowledge of them is from um, Full Metal I was literally about to say, if you've watched... (laughs) And it's not a pretty picture. Please elaborate. (laughs) It's literally the same thing, basically. Oh. Because Full Metal Alchemist is... That's terrifying. alchemy yeah (laughs) the golem often turns on its possessor or it does things above and like the Prague golem was supposed to have like just worked too hard and then the the rabbi who created the Prague golem was like oh this is like he 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 would like you'd ask him to get some lumber and he would tear up some trees and then the rabbi who created the Prague golem said oh I uh I probably shouldn't let anyone get their hands on you because you could like murder an army so that's the, I mean, that, there's always this, like, fear of the homunculus. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, there's actually a lot of, well, now I'm, like, sitting here, I'm like, there's a lot of anime that have them in it. Is that what happens? Do they just get out of hand? Well, it's always has to do with, like, you know, trying to channel magic power and then trying to kill them and take it. You know what I mean? Like, it's always yeah. about them being, like, an energy source. Like, even in Fate Stay, I think they... They do a whole thing with the, and then they bring like the golems into it. And I don't know. 
Well, so if, for those of you out there who are wondering, what the heck are we talking about? Yeah. It's a it's a manufactured human. So yeah. vi- via magical means, you create a human. So the prog golem was, I think, made out of clay. And then the rabbi brought the prog golem to life. So Hyen is is claiming that he, he can accomplish this. He's got recipes for making your own walking, talking golem. And it's basically like your clay slave. So you can make this giant clay man, and then he'll do whatever you want. So uh, your question about scorpions and snakes, if you can create a giant clay man, you can create clay snakes and they can go, you know, bite people. I guess. Wait, so you have control over them? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you got got control. What a good time that would be. Well, I guess I'd make some scorpions and snakes if I could, like, send them places. Yeah, Yeah. going all over the place. Yeah, that'd be fine. (laughs) Why stop there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. (laughs) So... (laughs) Just make a bunch of corgis. <laughs> An army of corgis. Army of slave corgis going around biting people's ankles. I would yeah. like to say more about our friend Hyan. Remember we were talking about that Muslim guy? Yup. <laughs> but... Forgot, but, you know. Right. He, he, he brought us a, all these recipes, right? Uh, but we can't say any more about him because his books tended to be written in a complex code, making them fairly difficult to penetrate for the casual scholar like yours truly, uh, and also very difficult to communicate that the, for the less than casual podcasting scholar uh, like yours truly. Hyen claims to have translated the work himself from Syriac, which we also know as Aramaic, which is the language Jesus spoke. If you went to see that Mel Gibson passion, that was uh, Aramaic. Oh, I did have to watch that. Yeah, I, I went to it. Yeah, it was it was rough. Well, I had to watch it in Sunday school. Ooh, yeah, yeah. That, that's a it's a violent film. The part where Mary gives birth scarred me for life. Right. Yeah. It only gets worse from there. There's a lot of blood in that movie. Yeah, I think I was like in fourth or fifth grade too. Wow. It was not appropriate That's for me to watch. child abuse. <laughs> yeah, well, that was Sunday school. <laughs> oh, was that a hot take? That was a hot take. <laughs> Sorry. I think yeah. you're in friendly company. Uh, Old Aramaic was first popularized in the 9th century BCE and was regularly used in the Near East until roughly the time period in which Hyen was writing. So it would have been going out of fashion as he's translating, theoretically. Hyen's translation is the first of three that will relate this day. Uh, so we're actually going to read the thing three times over. Oh, it's that short? It is, yeah. So only 14 lines. It really varies, actually. So we're going to give three different translations of the text, which uh, will hopefully give folks a sense of, of what the what's going on underneath the surface here. But since we're going to read the same same text, like different translations of the same text three times over, I want to keep it interesting for everybody. Now, I did ask the alchemical actors to help me with this, but Jacob is the only one of them who did his homework. Uh, so I'm going to have you two help me out here to, to you know, keep it keep, keep the mood up. You got me? Yeah, cool. All right, so Shannon, what I want you to do is make sounds uh, that like are, you're inspired to make as I speak the words of the Emerald Tablet of Hyan. Just like any sound? Yeah, but no words, just sounds. No, oh. Just sounds. Oh, okay. Now, Olivia, <laughs> when I pause, I want you to pick up any words you like. I want you to repeat them in a spooky fashion. Ooh, okay. You got that? All right. Yeah. <clears throat> we ready? You, you ready? Yes. Right. Belinus mentions the engraving on the table in the hand of Hermes, which says truth, certainty, that which is in which there is no doubt. That which is above Ooh. is from that which is that all you got? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> that, 
put you on the spot, Ralph. <laughs> you got this. Just let go and de- okay, okay, get into okay. it. All right. Just don't judge me. Truth. When it comes all right. Out. I won't judge. I won't judge. Truth, certainty, that in which there is no mm. doubt. <laughs> that which is above is from that which is below, and that which is below is from that which is above, working the miracles of one. One, 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 As all things were from one, its father is the sun, and its mother is the moon. Oh. Moon, moon. The earth carried it in her belly, and the wind nourished it in her belly, and as earth which shall become fire. 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 You're just saying the last word that I say. (laughs) Well, it's what's standing out, and not all the time. (laughs) Feed the earth from that which is subtle, with the greatest power. It ascends from the earth to the heaven, and becomes ruler over that which is above, and that which is below, and... I have already explained the meaning of this, ho- the whole of this, in two of these books of mine. Uh, b- books, sir. I don't know. That last one got me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a footnote. That last line. She's just like, by the way. Yeah, I didn't really know. I've explained know what to all make this before in some books. There wasn't I wrote. any good imagery. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I was helping with my sound. <laughs> The soundscape wasn't really. No, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't a robust soundscape. No, I, I agree. I'm sorry. We're not hitting the poetry slam. By the scene. third time. It's all right. Wait for all right. It. The third. Oh, you're gonna keep doing this? No, we. I got. Oh. <laughs> oh. That's it. That was your That's one like shot. That's the first reading. No, nope, that was your one yeah. try. I'll stick Jake up in there yeah. to give it a little more flavor. Ooh, fun. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> we love it. Yeah. How's the mild reason? <laughs> Jacob spices up He's our threesome. Spice. You know yeah. that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> It'd be nothing without him. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's keep going. All right. Albertus Magnus, or Albert the Great, was particularly concerned with the connection between the terrestrial and the cosmic ends of creation. In Albertus's reading of the tablet, Albertus's, that's a tough one. In Albertus's reading of the tablet, hmm. Minerals and metals on Earth receive their power from the heavens and can be understood and interpreted by the circumstances of their connection to their heavenly origins. Now stay with me on this. The power of a rock is connected to its placement on Earth in relation to the stars and the sky. So like the rock in my backyard has a different relation to the stars than the rock in Olivia's backyard. Okay. Right, because the you know the sky is just like slightly differently arranged when we're not that far apart. But like if you imagine a rock in California, that's got a whole other deal going on. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm here. Beginning with the Friar Albertus in the 13th century, a series of scholars then took up the themes in the Emerald Tablet. Parsing out exactly what these scholars thought in terms of occultism and alchemy is a tricky project, sort of like tracing the origins of the tablets themselves, because accurately or not, they became alchemical folk heroes, and people after them would attribute the books they wrote to Magnus or his successors, including Johannes Trithemius, Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa, and Paracelsus. We'll be getting to all of these folks this series, uh, a a little bit, a little bit on each of them. So in other words, uh, I would write a book, and rather than put my own name on it, I'd put one of those guys' names on it because they were more famous. You see? A person stood to gain by putting a famous alchemical name on their as-yet-untested alchemical text, but the story of these alchemists and their research, as I'm saying, we're going to put off for another day. So, today I want to skip to Isaac Newton. 
the inventor of the Fig Ooh. Newton, among other things. That's is that no, true? No, he didn't do that. He hated figs. That's he was allergic, actually. Is that true? Probably not. He wasn't allergic. He ate a lot of figs. Oh, okay. He 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 actually, I think he died choking on a fig. I don't know what to believe anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm honestly, I don't even trust you now. He just he invented the, I, the fig Newton. Was allergic to fig Newtons and ate them to his death. I can't identify with that. <laughs> it's a mood. So the Germans brought the emerald tablet forward in time through the Renaissance and into the Enlightenment, or the 18th century, or 17th century rather, where physicist and mathematician Isaac Newton produced his own translation of this text. So yes, Newton believed in the pis- Pisca Sapientia, or Wisdom of the Ancients, which had been translated through Albertus and, by, and which by Newton's time Albertus had come to belong to. During an outbreak of plague in 1665, Newton had his mythological apple revelation about gravity, equating the Earth's influence on an apple to the pull it exerted on the moon. In October of 1667, Newton became a fellow of Trinity College and nine months later was made a Master of Arts. Then in October of 1669, he was named the Lucasian Professor of Mathematics, the only chair specifically devoted to mathematics. The chair came with a relatively large patronage of 100 pounds. They don't say pounds of what, I assume? Fig Newtons. That same year... (laughs) Sorry. My apologies to our UK listeners. That same year saw the beginning of Newton's alchemical experiment after a visit to London where he purchased two portable furnaces. Oh, okay. No one was concerned? Okay. Well, you need those to to, to cook things. He's to, to cook his alchemy stuff. You think people would put cook a ban on that? They'd be like, this man only needs one. <laughs> too many furnaces. Two? What could he be doing? By the 1680s, he was working late into the night on his various chemical experiments from which he compiled the Index Chemicus, running 879 headings and 5,000 references. That is one heck of a dissertation. These experiments included an exploration of Diana's tree, a crystallized form of silver formed by combining mercury with silver nitrate, which alchemists believe was a precursor to the Philosopher's Stone and likely drove many alchemists insane. Like, drove them insane because they couldn't get to the next step, or? No, no, because you can't play with mercury recreationally. Oh, right, you said mercury, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So Newton created his own, Newton himself, I think he survived that, but he created his own translation of the Emerald Tablet, uh, which this time I'm going to supplement with commentary from Hortulanus. Hortulanus was a medieval alchemist about whom almost nothing is known outside of the commentary on the Emerald Tablet. So this is like a theme with the Emerald Tablet. If you say anything about it, then there's literally nothing else about you that we know. So in uh, uh, like 300 years, this episode will exist, but nothing else about any of us. Weird. Why did right. we do we'll this? Be erased. <laughs> we you just erased that, my right? legacy and you didn't even tell me? This is your legacy because people will oh, still be shit. talking about this episode. Well, we should have done better <laughs> oh, yeah, earlier if this was our legacy because. <laughs> like, they made that big Newton joke like way too many times. Yeah, that's, that's our legacy. <laughs> there will be entire books written on what a Fig Newton could possibly be. And how, how many makes 100 pounds? <laughs> and whether or not Isaac died of them. So, <laughs> or if he loved him. Or, <laughs> yeah. or, or if he loved him, or both. 
So he was a, a medieval alchemist, uh, and we knew nothing about him, and his commentary in line with Newton's alchemy is focused on the tablet's lessons regarding the material world. So that's why I'm going to put them together, uh, albeit his, these, all these things make references to things spiritual. So for both Newton and Hortulanus, there was uh, important physical lessons to be learned by these lines, but also spiritual lessons. Tis true without lying, certain and most true. Hortulanus believes this first line anticipates the argument that alchemy is a lie. Gold, he says, can be made by art, and this is the purest gold that exists. That which is below is like that which is above, and that which is above is like to that which is below, to do miracles of only one thing. The stone is both earth and solar spirit. It joins the temporal and the divine in one entity. And as all things have been, and arose from one by the meditation of one, so all things have their birth from this one thing by adaptation. The initial one was a confused globe from which God distilled the four elements. The stone is similarly distilled from chaos into four distinct elements. The sun is its father, the moon its mother. The sun is purified gold or philosopher's gold, and the moon is philosopher's silver. The combination creates the philosopher's stone to beget more gold. You got that? So it's philosopher's gold and philosopher's silver, meaning it requires philosophy to make it. Is this, this might be a dumb question, but is this where as above, so below comes from? Like Yes, in part, yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. I was just wondering. Because it means the same thing, it sounds like, so... There is a, yeah, it's talking about the relationship between the above and the below and the movement from above, below, and back again. The wind hath carried it in its belly, the earth its nurse. The wind that carries the stone is the air which is the soul, and the earth is where the stone must be placed so that it may ferment and feed off the earth for its energy. So our souls have to make it to the earth, and then we soak up that earth energy so that we can go back to heaven. The father of all perfection in the whole world is here. The secret of all treasure is found in the Philosopher's Stone. Its force or power is entire if it be converted into earth. The soul must be transmuted into the substance of the stone through the fermentation process. So here's where our chemical tubes and furnaces get involved. Separate the earth from the fire, the subtle from the gross, sweetly with great industry. So, through a process of dissolving, the lees and dregs or leftovers must be distilled out of the stone. So, the alchemical process is about taking all the impurities out of the thing so that it can just be pure, pure gold. It ascends from earth to heaven, and again it descends to earth and receives the force of things superior and inferior. So, you can see this going back and forth, right? The stone required a great deal of soul, which is the unfixed aspect of the stone that ascends to heaven. This must be congealed into the stone in order to make it function. The processes for this transition are inceration, not incineration, but inceration, which is turning things to ashes, uh, mixing with oil extracted from the stone in the first steps, and then sublimation, or moving from a solid to a gas state instantaneously, which is pretty cool. My rock! Man, could you imagine if that just happened to like people's crystals? They're just like Bam, vaporized. My, my, no. my amethyst. It would be a sign that you have achieved sublimation. 
Oh, then I guess maybe it'd be cool. Did you say it like goes in between, so it'll come back? Uh, maybe I can't. I can't make any promises. My amethyst. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, basically, what you're doing in your lab is you're like trying to achieve these different results: inseration, turning things to ashes, and then sublimation, turning your solid into gas without moving through a liquid state. And with through all these transformations, your stone finally congeals into its final form. So for his part, Newton described gravity as a kind of matter that came down to the Earth and ascended again toward heaven, since otherwise the Earth would swell up. You got that? Wait, what? So he sees... So think about it. Newton says gravity is a kind of matter in Newton's mind. So it's stuff that's pulling things down to the Earth. There's some sort of, like, ether. You got got me like a vapor, almost. So he's saying, if that vapor is pulling down to the Earth, then it must rebound back into the cosmos, because if it doesn't, then the Earth is going to swell up like a balloon, because it keeps filling up with this vapor. So is that like... uh, Okay. So Newton actually thinks that the Emerald Tablet has some uh, way of helping him to explain how gravity functions. By this means, you shall have glory of the whole world, and thereby all obscurity shall fly from you. Meaning, the stone will cure all diseases. Its force is above all force, for it vanquishes every subtle thing and penetrates every solid thing. Meaning, it can penetrate all substances. Sounding like gravity, right? The force of gravity penetrates all things. Or magnetism. So was the world created. As stated at the beginning, God made the world by organizing the chaos into the four elements. From this are and do come admirable adaptations whereof the means or process is here in this. Meaning, the alchemist should follow God's design and separate the chaos into the four elements. Hence, I am called Hermes Trismegistus, having the three parts of the philosophy of the whole world. Those three parts that Hermes is referring to, or rather Newton is referring to via Hermes, are animal, mineral, and vegetable. They all combine in the Philosopher's Stone, just as the elements do. That which I have said of the operation of the sun is accomplished and ended. So that means uh, that the Philosopher's Mercury, which is also known as the Philosopher's Stone, is fully encompassed in this text. Everything you need to know is here in these lines. And that's it. I'm done. That's the whole thing. It's become a kind of academic fashion to read alchemy as an early form of chemistry. Certainly, this kind of experimentation undertaken by Newton had a scientific content, possibly even an influence on the scientific discoveries he's credited for. But, when it comes to the Emerald Tablet, it's difficult to label its hermetic wisdom as proto-scientific. Whereas science bases its knowledge on empirical observation, looking out at the world, the hermetic tradition seeks a kind of metaphysical understanding underneath the surface of things. We understand the Emerald Tablet through an inward process of philosophical introspection and spiritual contemplation rather than trial and error in the material world. Although alchemists certainly engaged in trial and error based on what they read in the tablet, getting the tablet right in terms of achieving a transmutation of metals was as much a matter of gleaning the secrets hidden within the words as it was realizing the practical effects of those secrets in the laboratory. So we're not really looking at this scientific process with this text. We're looking at a kind of, like, biblical exegesis. You're digging into the text to find its secrets, to unpack, you know, whatever hidden meaning is in the words. It's more like... uh, you know, an English lit class than a chemistry class. Or my class. Then I'd just let you make it up. 
Moving into the 19th century, Helena Blavatsky focused her attention on the metaphysical and spiritual implications of the text. Let's take a moment for her translation. What is below is like that which is above, and what is above is similar to that which is below to accomplish the wonders of one thing. As all things were pronounced by the mediation of one being, so all things were pronounced from this one by adaptation. Its father is the sun, its mother is the moon. It is the cause of all perfection throughout the whole earth. Its power is perfect if it is changed into earth. Separate the earth from the fire, the subtle from the gross, acting prudently and with judgment. Ascend with the greatest sagacity from the earth to heaven and then descend again to the earth, and then unite together the power of things inferior and superior. Thus, you will possess the light of the whole world, and all obscurity will fly away from you. This thing has more fortitude than fortitude itself, because it will overcome every subtle thing and penetrate every solid thing. By it, the world was formed. This translation appears in her first major work, the messier and generally less respected of her two major works, and that is, of course, Isis Unveiled. Isis is best read as the beginning of Blavatsky's journey into the realm of occult philosophy. Blavatsky was most interested in and most successful at blending Western occultism with Eastern religion, and so a text that moved through Arabic and European cultures must have appealed strongly to her sensibility. Let's take a look at how Blavatsky interprets the Emerald Tablet. She says that, the mysterious thing, meaning the it by which the world was formed that connects terrestrial things to cosmic things, is the universal magical agent, the astral light, which in the correlations of its forces furnishes the alkahest, and by that she means the philosopher's stone, and the elixir of life, which are sort of all the same thing for her. So to begin, Blavatsky points out that the force or substance connecting all things, when manipulated in particular ways, yields all the magical achievements sought by the alchemist. She goes on. Hermetic philosophy names it Azoth, the soul of the world, the celestial virgin, the great magnes, etc., etc. That's her, not me. Physical science knows it as heat, light, electricity, and magnetism. But ignoring its spiritual properties and the occult potency contained in ether rejects everything it ignores. Within its mystical precinct lies the master key which opens the door to every science, physical as well as spiritual. So what Blavatsky's saying here is, is she's making the point that the magical force underlying the alchemist's occult aims is actually something we see the effects of in our regular lives. There is a kind of continuity between the natural and supernatural worlds. In the 19th century, the mysteries of electromagnetism were only just starting to be revealed as she's writing this book. So she's seeing the Emerald Tablet as a key to sort of help us understand how electromagnetism functions. Thomas Edison, who was a member of Blavatsky's Theosophical Society, fun fact, was still trying to figure out how to transmit electrical currents into people's homes, and his rival Nikola Tesla believed there was an electrical frequency in the Earth that devices could tune to in order to transmit power across great distances without wires, things we've discussed uh, on the podcast already. So going back to Blavatsky, the it of the Emerald Tablet 
symbolizes our human existence, for the circle of life circumscribes the four points of the cross, which represent in succession birth, life, death, and immortality. Everything, she says, in this world is a trinity completed by the quaternary, and every element is divisible on this same principle. So do you know what she means by that, a a trinity completed by a quaternary? Nope. Well, I mean, trinity is three, and you're saying four, something... So what? Four is the completion. So think about it like the Holy Trinity, right? The Catholic Trinity. Yeah. The completion of the Catholic Trinity is you, the believer. So there are three, and then you complete it as the fourth. So three is sort of like this holy, sacred number because it's that reaching to completion, and then four is the round completion of the circuit. So Blavatsky points out that the tablet discusses the four central elements, right, that divide into the difference and variety of existence, which can in turn be transmuted back into the four, which then form the one unified substance. This is a little Taoist, actually. So from the four come the multitude, and then we can take the multitude and using alchemical process, we can boil them down to just the four, and then we can boil the four down to just the one pure philosopher's stone substance. Yeah? Okay, yeah. So, uh, our being functions according to this rule of four. So, us as human beings, we can also utilize this rule of four for our profit and gain. The ancient god is a trinity plus the goddess. See, for example, the Hindu trinity. So, in Hinduism, we see this exact same thing. Uh, There's, uh, oh, Vishnu, Shiva, and Brahma. And then the goddess is the fourth component, the female component, which completes the four. We'll give Blavatsky the last word on this. She says, Physiology can divide man ad infinitum, as physical science has divided the four primal and principal elements in several dozens of others. She will not succeed in changing either. Ooh. Carl Jung is our last stop on this Emerald Tablet tour. I like that guy. You like that, Carl? Yeah. (laughs) Of all the Carls. So, <laughs> Young, best known as the mystical alter ego and former student of the atheist Sigmund Freud, devoted considerable study to the connection between psychology and alchemy. Young believed that the symbols utilized in alchemical research and explanation could be correlated to dream symbols, expressing the inner depths of not just a personal but a collective unconscious. In Young's view, all of us draw on the same well of unconscious experience, and the alchemists channel what they glean from that well into the symbols in, in their texts. So this is all a sort of psychological process for him. Young said that the child of the sun and the moon described in the fourth line of the Emerald Tablet is a god. When this god is nourished by the earth and carried by the wind, this suggests either the creation or perfection of the world. The god forms the world by dividing himself into four parts. The second line, that things from above form things below, and things below form things above, suggests that we humans then create the gods in the way we imagine or configure them. And then, in in turn, we're created by the gods in their image. So the way we imagine the gods helps us determine how we imagine ourselves. Whoa. The way we imagine the gods is how we imagine ourselves? It's how we create ourselves? it's sort of an it's an idealization. So if we have a violent god, we may be a violent people. If we have a peaceful god, we'll be a peaceful people because we're following in that god's image. Okay. You see what I mean? I feel like that's like the opposite of Christianity then. 
Right? <laughs> well, Christianity was supposed to take the more violent Old Testament God and make him a friendly, loving God. Yeah. So is it, we're not a result of the gods, the gods are a result of us? Like how, like, we are made in God's image is, like, what Christianity says, but you're saying kind of, or no, you are well, saying young, that. Yeah. Young is saying. Well, that's what I, <laughs> no, you know what I meant. <laughs> Sorry. Young is saying that it's this sort of like ever revolving cycle that God makes the world and makes us and then we make the gods in the way we imagine them and then the way we imagine the gods shapes us oh, and it's sort of constantly circling. Got it. So, uh, where were we? This is some deep insight. For Young, it is significant that the redeeming God is made powerful on earth. The God descends again to earth. So it's a bear, this is an important part of the Emerald Tablet. You don't just go, come down and go back up. You then come back down again. The cycle repeats. The God descends again to earth to gain in power by uniting the inferior and the superior. The emphasis is on the spiritual or divine world's impact on this world. The alchemical focus is on making gold in this life rather than the ascetic path of rescinding the earthly in favor of the spiritual. As with the Rosicrucians, the work is a blending of the temporal and the spiritual, not a Gnostic turn away from the spiritual. You got what Young's up to here? So we are transforming the earthly. Earthly life is not evil or wrong or bad. We shouldn't look away from it. We should allow it to be elevated through contact with the spirit and have this sort of blend of spirit and earthly. We shouldn't say sex is bad. We shouldn't say food is bad. We shouldn't say, you know, contact or anything else, physical contact. These things are all good, but they need to be spiritualized through contact with God. Young reads the Emerald Tablet as an expression of the individuation process. For Young, individuation is the way we form our individual psychology out of the mass, the massive collective pool, that is, of the unconscious. The god or unified one from which all else arises is primeval consciousness. We shape our god from the collective unconscious, and that god, in turn, shapes us. In this way, the Emerald Tablet articulates how our individual conscious psyche rises out of the unconscious. So it's also how we become an individual thinking being. We all emerge from this same pool of collective unconscious and like up we pop, just one little tadpole and we are coming out of that, but then we're going to go back into it. I guess. So this is like more of the idea that we are shaped or, well, no. Well, yeah, so we are in turn shaping God kind of, it's like, so I don't know how to word it. God, but with... I don't know, I just, like, I think, is it just... We need to do a little, let me do a little background on Jung and see if this helps. So his basic theory, one of his basic theories is that, yes, he's saying we shape God, but what we shape God from is this sort of primeval collective unconscious, that all of us share very like similar themes and ideas in our unconscious, the archetypes, that every one of us is walking around with these this core of an unconscious, and we all have it in common. So he's saying that the primeval gods, like the ancient gods, all came out of that core unconscious space. And we are shaped by that. We sort of pop out of that primeval consciousness into our individual modern consciousness. But we're sort of always having to go back down to that primeval consciousness to be spiritually renewed and then come back out into our individuation. That's why um, Terrence McKenna talks about him a lot. Not like a lot, but like he he would use him to kind of back up yeah, his he, stuff. Yeah, 
Young is popular with the more alty thinkers. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's call it quits here. That's the Emerald Tablet. We got other stuff to do. Golf clap. Let's open up that golf claps. Open up that order of confessors. We're gonna gong on into that. I just got a couple of people I want to talk to who are from the uh, the cast box. Oh, the 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 what the Android people use, right? <laughs> yes, with the Android people. Yes, my boyfriend <laughs> is one of them. The Android users. Welcome, Android. The Androiders. <laughs> so, we do reasonably well on Castbox. We yeah, we a I actually have people there. tell me they listen on Castbox. So yeah, it's not too bad. Uh, so Cammy White uh, is confessing her love for us over on Castbox. There's a little thing where you can make a comment, and they it's a little bit different over there because you can comment on individual episodes. So yeah, this one guy called us a square for our DMT episode, Olivia. You can start a what fight with him. What the hell? Doing DMT does not make you a square. If anything, it <laughs> makes you a circle because you're one with the earth. No, he like did more DMT, so he's not a square. We're the squares because we're not, I don't know, on drugs enough. I did shrooms. That's enough. It's close. <laughs> doing so shrooms. T- can I tell people that? Yeah, it's me. I'm, I'm saying I, I, I can. I feel like it's all right. I feel like yeah, I have so, but... Well, my DMT we episode, advocate this. it inspired me to finally do shrooms because I was like, I just did an episode. I can't, I can't say no, right? <laughs> In any case, Cammy's giving us an A+++. Plus. Oh, right, right. <laughs> Ronnie Lane, who we hear from fairly regularly on CastBox, is looking forward to your Patreon special on Bathory, oh, uh, Olivia. Oh, wow, there is hype. I think we blew his mind a little bit also on the, uh, the mind control episode. So, Ronnie, oh. shout out to you. Uh, okay, let's, I'm gonna, we can, uh, I want to say close it up, but we don't really close up the Order of Confessors. Rather, we close up the whole episode, Olivia. Yep. Oh, you want me to adjourn? Yeah, it's your, it's your okay. job. <laughs> I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such a time as we get together and do it again. We were joined today by Sean Priest uh, doing the voice of Isaac Newton. Also, Lucy Bond doing the voice of Helena Blavatsky. We had a little bit of Jacob Wheatley sprinkled in there for good measure. <laughs> oh, it's nice. Uh, <laughs> a light sprinkling. A, nice <laughs> a sprinkling of Jacob. Uh, joining me uh, around the discussion, we have Shannon Landers, our Instaquisitor. Hi, everyone. I missed you. <laughs> and you can reach her on the Instagram, also the Twitter, also the Facebook. All those things. I'll be lurking in the DMs. <laughs> lurking in your She's DMs. She's lurking in her own DMs, waiting for your DMs. <laughs> yes, I am ready. <laughs> Just like and... tapping my fingers like an evil villain. I'm tapping? Is that how you would? Yeah. Olivia can see what I I'm see doing. what you're doing. You guys can't see it's what I'm tapping. doing. It's a tapping. It's a maniacal yes. tapping. Mm. Olivia Literal is our grandmaster. Yes. The grandest. The grandest master, master remember? Yeah. Uh, before we close up today, I want to send a, a, pri- a private message uh, to a listener. Uh, I don't want to call out this listener by name, but uh, on the Instagram, uh, this listener had a dream about me. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, and sent me a message. And the message actually did resonate with some things going on in my off-podcast life. Uh, so I'm very appreciative about that. And if any of the rest of you have any dreams about me, ladies, uh, oh. by all means write in. And let us know. But men, feel free to write in, too, if you have dreams about Rob. We are 
We are, we love everyone. We're here. inclusive. We are. We're inclu- that's yeah. true. That's true. We're gender fluid. We are yeah. sex fluid. We are we are here for all your dreams. Yeah. But seriously, uh, we are we all believe in in uh, psychic experience. And, yeah. and if you happen to think that there's anything we should know, um, that that is a very generous thing to do to reach out. And I know it takes uh, takes some some guts to do that. But uh, we are a receptive audience, and, and I am very grateful uh, that this particular uh, listener reached out to me. Okay, uh, let's 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 call it quits here. Uh, we're done. I've had enough of an emerald tablet. We gotta Man. come do all bunch more alchemy. Yep. <laughs> Isn't that weird? This is the alchemical actors. It is. This is episode gonna... like seventy. We haven't done alchemy until now. We're year three. <laughs> We've never said alchemical so much in an I episode. Know. <laughs> I know. We've never actually talked about alchemy. All right, that's it. Thanks, friends. Bye. Bye.